Welcome everybody to One Question with Pastor Adam. I am Adam and I am pastor to believers and to doubters, to unfaithful Christians and to faithful atheists. And Jesus wasn't afraid of questions and neither are we here at One Question with Pastor Adam. So each Thursday we are going to go over questions uh, that you have or that I have or that we're just hearing out in the culture. So Yesterday, I happened to come across a YouTube video from a YouTube channel that has a title that I didn't like so much when I first saw the title. But after watching some of the videos, I I really like this channel. The channel is called The Diary of a CEO, and that sounded way too capitalistic for me. <laughs> But I listened and I watched some of the videos on YouTube and I was like, this is actually pretty good stuff. There's some really good wisdom in here. And one of the videos, the video that I watched yesterday is called Harvard Professor Revealing the Seven Big Lies About Exercise, Sleep, Running, Cancer, and Sugar. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, so it is an interview with Dr. Daniel Lieberman, a Harvard, Harvard professor, about a book that he wrote recently, which is called Exercised. Uh, and that is a bit of a play on words because what I love about Daniel Lieberman in his book Exercised, he talks about how our culture is all exercised about exercise. <laughs> Do you get that? I'm such a nerd. Why did I laugh at that? Like exercise to be like, to be riled up about something. Uh, and this happens in uh, multiple ways, but I'm going to just tell you what about this video really struck me, uh, struck a chord with me. We have so much in our culture that is trying to um, tell us to exercise, but it tells us to exercise in a very shaming kind of way. Uh, in a way that's kind of pointing the finger, in a way that's not helpful for me as someone who uh, has been suffering from mental illness and mental struggles. Uh, it's a way of like pointing the finger at us saying, hey, if you want to uh, get over your mental uh, illness, just go out and run. Well, oftentimes when we are struggling with a mental illness, exercising is the last thing that we want to do. And shaming us to exercise is not helpful. Uh, it's anti-helpful. <laughs> that's what it is. And so I was listening to this. That's part of how we get exercised about exercise. Our culture gets us all riled up about exercising, uh, which is is probably a good thing to do to exercise. But when it comes with shame, it has the opposite effect. And so when I was listening to this video with Dr. Lieberman about his book, Exercised, he starts off, the interviewer starts off by saying, uh, what's, what's one thing that our culture should, should know about exercising? And he says, don't shame pe people. Don't tell people that they need to exercise in a shaming kind of way because it doesn't work. Instead, we need to train ourselves, and this is the important part, we need to train ourselves to have empathy for people who are struggling to exercise. We need to have empathy for people 
really what this is about for those of us who are struggling in life. <laughs> There's this bigger picture of what this conversation is about. Uh, and it was developing empathy as opposed to shaming people. Uh, this also applies to eating healthy too, Melanie. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for that. So uh, what, so he ends up saying this and he also ends up saying, and this, this is what hit me hard too, as well as what he's saying in, in a really good way. Uh, he said, when we start off trying to exercise, it really sucks. It is really hard because we haven't developed the the things in our body in order to get us over uh, the hump of um, of exercising. Uh, and it is hard. And I noticed this recently because I used to I used to run a lot. In fact, I was training for a marathon and then I got injured. This was like three or four years ago. Uh, I got injured and I had to take like six months off. And my doctor was like, find other ways of exercising. Uh, so I tried to do that. And then when I six, when the six months were up, my foot still didn't feel right. And so I didn't, I didn't start running again. And every time I tried to run again, it hurt. And so I stopped, I took another six months off. And so finally I was like, I'm just going to try to run. And I got to tell you, it sucked. I would like run a mile and I would be like, why am I doing this? This just sucks. I hate this. Uh, it's not fun. Uh, and I would shame myself because I would think I was doing this just like two years ago. I was running half marathons. I was running really, really fast, trying to run faster. And that was one of the things that like kept me interested in, in running was trying to beat times that I had before, trying to run longer than I had previously. And it was just a way of competing with myself. And I had so much fun doing it. And now after a year and a half or two years, it just sucked. And I could never get past that hump. And I had these shaming uh, voices in my head that were basically saying, you're not good enough. Uh, you suck. You used to be so much better. Uh, the, the atom of three or four years ago was so much better than the atom of now. Do you ever get these voices in your head? Uh, and, uh, you should just quit, just quit. And those voices were really strong. And so this interview with this Harvard scientist that kept emphasizing to not shame ourselves and to not shame others for struggling to exercise was so important for me to hear. And uh, at the end of the video, the interviewer asks him again, says, what is one thing that you didn't say in this interview that you wish that we had said? <laughs> what's, what's one thing? Well, he goes back to this point. He says, the one thing that I wish that we could tell people and that I wish that we could like reinforce in our culture is to stop the cycles of shame when it comes to exercise, when it comes to running, because it is really, really hard. And uh, as Melanie says, this is also about eating, right? Uh, this is about eating healthy foods as well. It can be just really, really hard. This is about 
mental health in general. And one of the ways this, this might be helpful to you, uh, if it is, feel free to take it on. One of the ways when I was running a lot and yes, it, it was fun, but it was also really hard. One of the ways that I, that I dealt with that was to take the wins, the victories when I could. So what was a win for me? Sometimes the win was just putting on my shoes and lacing my shoes up, tying up my shoes. That was a win. Uh, sometimes it was the first step out of the, out of the door. And that was the win for me. I was like, whatever happens next, I've already won the day. I've already won the day because I laced up my shoes. Uh, this is one of the things for me that's been uh, really important in my life. We always talk about like wanting to set the bar up really, really high for ourselves. And if that works for you, awesome, fine, go for it. But I learned very early on in my ministry uh, that sometimes it's important to set the bar really low. Why? Because when you set the bar so high, I found it for me to be stifling. I found it for me to be, I can't, I can't reach that bar. And so I'm not even going to try. And so sometimes for me, the win for the day is just lacing up the shoes. Sometimes for me, the win for the day is getting out of bed in the morning. Sometimes the win might be waking up in the morning and that's a win, right? Sometimes getting out of bed is a big win. Many of you know that I'm a, I'm, I'm a writer. I do some blogging. Uh, I'm in the middle of writing an ebook, which is, uh, which I hoped would have been done back in May and it is now July. And so it's going really slow and I'm often looking at the word doc or the, in my case, the Google doc in front of me when I'm trying to write this thing. And the Google doc is just staring me right in the face and saying, uh, you suck. <laughs> You can't do, this was supposed to be written two and a half months ago. That was your goal. And now what are you doing, man? <laughs> Nothing. And sometimes in the face of that Google doc, I have to remind myself that the win is writing a sentence for the day. A win might be even thinking, just thinking about what I might write next. Hey, Adam, that's a win. Why? Because life is hard. This sometimes brushing our teeth in the morning, that's a win. Count that as a win. Uh, one of my favorite spiritual teachers is a woman named Anne Lamott. She wrote this book about writing called Bird by Bird. Uh, and in that book, she has a story where her brother in elementary school, so there were elementary school students at the time, and her brother was supposed to do a project on birds where he was supposed to, I think it was that he was supposed to like draw birds and color them different colors, right? Well, well, he had a month to do this bird project. And the night before the bird project is due, he hadn't worked on it at all. <laughs> so uh, he goes to their dad and it is just like crying and is like, how am I going to do this? Uh, I'm going to get an F on this project. You know, all the anxiety of an elementary school student. Uh, and his 
their dad comes to him and says, son, you just got to do it bird by bird. <laughs> bird by bird. That's the title of her book, Bird by Bird. And sometimes in life, it's just basic elementary school wisdom that says bird by bird, step by step. That's how we're going to get through this. Oftentimes I'll stare at that Google doc and I will just want to get it all written out as fast as possible and get done with this thing. And when I have that mentality, it's like two and a half months later and I'm still like, what am I doing? Voices in my head, shaming me, telling me that I'm not good enough. Uh, and sometimes the bird by bird is word by word in this Google Doc. Uh, sometimes I'm writing something out and I want it to be perfect the first time, right? And if it's not perfect the first time, I just think how awful I am and how much I suck. And one of the things that Anne Lamont says in her book, Bird by Bird, is uh, when you're writing, if you are, okay, so if you're listening to this in your car and you have kids, uh, turn it down. Uh, or if they're okay with a little bit of cuss words, uh, keep it the same, right? <laughs> she says, write a shitty first draft. Oh, that is that was so freeing to me when I first heard it. Write a shitty first draft. This is like, um, this is wisdom for life. <laughs> now, don't think that I am like if 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 wanting to nail it on the first your first draft of life works for you. Hey, go for it. All the more power to you. But for me, and maybe for some of the rest of us, that is so stifling and it is so hard. And this perfectionism just has to die because it's getting in the way of us living our lives. It's getting in the way of us flourishing as best we can. And of course, there are so many other things in life that get in the way of these things too. But for me, and maybe for some of us, some of the rest of us, perfectionism is a big part of that uh, issue. And so I have, I have dealt with those voices in my head that are shaming me either about exercise or about my preaching or about my writing. I've dealt with those, those voices in my head in a way that those are shaming voices. And I'm trying to get to this point in my life where I don't respond with shame back to humans, to other people, or to those voices in my head. I'm not perfect at it, but those voices in my head are, uh, they're in my head. They're a part of me. <laughs> they may have been, they may have come from uh, other people, my parents maybe, uh, who might have said something shaming to me or from culture that is always telling telling us that you should exercise, you should exercise better. You should look a certain way. You should have certain clothes or a certain house or whatever. And if you're not, then you uh, are a complete failure, right? Uh, these are the voices in our culture that are embedded in my head. And uh, it's, it's hard to know how to deal with them. Our culture doesn't teach us how to deal with those things, uh, with those voices. And I don't know what, I don't know if something has worked for you, uh, but one of the things that has worked for me is to try to not shame those voices back. Instead, 
recognize that those voices for me, recognizing that those voices for me can often have a, an underlying good to them. Uh, they can be there to try to protect us because they know that, um, how painful it can be, uh, to fail, uh, whatever that means. Right. And so instead of shaming those voices in my head, I've come to treat them a little differently to kind of imagine myself patting them on the head and saying, Oh, you're so cute. <laughs> you're not as big as you think you are. Uh, but I appreciate that you're here and trying to protect me from something. But uh, there are some things that we do need protected to be protected from, right? But those voices don't know. You do know. If you can take a step back from those voices, you can decide, we can decide what voices are worth listening to and those voices that might be there in order to try to protect us maybe they are maybe they're from a previous self that we have had from from earlier in our lives and those voices might have been better to listen to back then more protective back then but you've grown since then right you have, you're not the same person that you were back then, but those voices don't know that, but you do. And so there are times when you can listen to these voices and you can say, Hey, I appreciate what you're trying to do here, uh, but I'm in a different place right now. And I can listen to this other voice that is encouraging me to maybe put my shoes on, maybe encouraging me to get out of bed. I can listen to that voice or I can listen to the voice that says, hey, bird by bird, or just get one word down on that Google Doc, <laughs> right? Just get one sentence out on that Google Doc. So this is all stemming from this video <laughs> that I watched yesterday about exercising and how I get exercised about exercising and our culture and voices of shame. And at the end of this video, this, this guy, this doctor from Harvard, uh, who wrote this book exercise, uh, says, yeah, the one important thing that I want you all to hear is, is to stop the cycles of shaming ourselves and shaming others when it comes to exercising, or as Melanie says, uh, the foods that we eat, because guess what? We are all trying to do the best that we can with the tools that we have. And that is something to be proud of. That is something to honor that we are trying to do the best that we can with what we have. So I'm listening to this video. All of these thoughts are going through my head and it is reminding me of when Jesus talks about the greatest commandments. So in Matthew chapter 22, promise I'll make this connect. <laughs> When Jesus talks about the greatest commandment in Matthew chapter 22, he's confronted by some of his opponents and his opponents say to him, Hey, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And, uh, Jesus says to them, you shall love the Lord, your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and the first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself on these two commandments, hang all the laws and the prophets. Now, 
Uh, many of you uh, who know me as a progressive Christian know that we progressive Christians tend to emphasize this greatest commandment. And that that's appropriate to do. Why? Because Jesus emphasized it. You notice how Jesus, uh, when they're asked, like, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus doesn't say, how dare you ask that question? They're all equal. All the commandments are from the word of God and they are all equal and you need to obey all of them uh, to the fullest, right? No, he doesn't say that. He says the greatest commandments are the commandments to love, to love God and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And I had made this point on a social media post couple years, maybe, I don't know, a year ago or six months ago or something. I don't, I don't remember when it was, uh, but I made this point some way on a social media post and I'll never forget what the person house one person responded, which was, how do I love myself? Oh, does that cut deep for you? That cuts deep for me because nobody tends to teach us how to love ourselves often in Christian circles, whether they're liberal, progressive, um, conservative, uh, whenever we talk about these verses, it tends, we tend to emphasize, um, loving your neighbor, right? How do, how do you love God? You love your neighbor and nobody teaches us how to love ourselves. And that's problematic. <laughs> that's hard. It's hard because it's hard to love ourselves. We don't get trained in how to love ourselves. And I was thinking about this video on exercising and Jesus' statement to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And what does it look like to love ourselves? I think part of it is to develop ways of stopping the cycle of shame stopping the cycle of shaming others. Um, that's what this exercise video was so great about was it was this dual connecting theme of don't shame others when they might, when we might go exercising and stop the first day because it's hard. Why should you not shame them? Why should you not shame them for that? Because it's hard. <laughs> Life is hard. Exercising is hard. Getting a first Getting writing your first book is hard. Uh, and so stop the cycle of shaming other people for having difficulties in this. Uh, and he also says, try not to shame yourself, right? And sometimes shame can just be the cycle where we start shaming ourselves for shaming ourselves, <laughs> right? How do we love ourselves in the midst of this? I think it's developing non-judgmental habits, recognizing that in the face of all of the things of life, mental illnesses that many of us struggle with, yeah, mental illness is like, is like a physical illness. It's like uh, if you um, pull, a, pull a leg muscle or something like that, Mental illness is very similar. Uh, you you might have pulled you know your brain muscle, and it's hard. It hurts. Uh, that can be a mental illness. It's like a mental illness. Uh, some of us uh, struggle with mental illness more than others. Uh, I take medications for my mental health and well being, and uh, that's been helpful. So um, oftentimes we 
shame ourselves for shaming ourselves for needing help with our mental health uh, because we live in a culture that kind of says you should you should be not kind of says, but does say you should be able to get through these things on your own without medication. Uh, stop using the crutches in life. Well, sometimes we all need a crutch, right? Uh, and whether that's other people to help us through phases in our lives or through life in general, no shame in that. Why? Because we are interdependent. We all depend on one another to get through this thing we call life. <laughs> so, uh, there's no shame in that. And in fact, Jesus, I think, is inviting us to stop the cycles of judgment, stop the cycles of shame in order to live into non-judgmental, non-shaming ways. And what is that? It's the ways of love. It's the ways of recognizing uh, that we are all struggling in this life and uh, we try to hide it as best we can often uh, so that others don't see our struggles. This is what social media is all about. And um, how do we get through that? By living in communities of love and acceptance, communities that resist the cycles of shaming one another and instead try to live in cycles of acceptance and love, uh, loving one another. So, uh, those are my thoughts. Thank you for sticking through the technical difficulties we had earlier today. I'll go through some of the questions. Um, oh, thank you, princess. Thank you. You are amazing. So Raylene says, best I can with the tools I have. Give me 10 seconds and I may learn something that will help me do better next time. Yeah. Um, I think that's it. This it's, it's all a process. Isn't that right, Raylene? We're, I mean, hopefully, Hopefully we can continue to journey down the path and continue learning better ways and developing better tools for how to love ourselves, for how to you know, st stop cycles of shame. I mean, I think that Jesus connects the, and Jesus gets this from uh, the only passage that he quotes positively from Leviticus, <laughs> Leviticus, uh, I think it's 1918, where he says, uh, where Leviticus says, has the law to love your neighbor as you love yourself. You know what's connected to that law that often gets missed? Uh, you shall not seek vengeance against one of your people. So here, uh, the connection to nonviolence, to non-vengeance in Leviticus is connected to uh, love. And I think this is what Jesus is formed by when it comes to his his ethics, is this law here, no vengeance, and instead love. Uh, this is this is the outcome of this. The fulfillment of this is to love even those we call our enemies. This, I think, is in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says that he did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. It's, it's a very confusing statement because Jesus does not go to all 613 commandments in the Hebrew scriptures and fulfill all of them. Why? Well, there are some of them that are um, about stoning people. Jesus doesn't fulfill those. In fact, he resists those laws. He tells people to stop doing, stop uh, living out those laws, right? Jesus picks and chooses laws, and he picks and chooses the law of love. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love God 
And the way that we love God is to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Uh, interestingly, uh, Jesus in Matthew chapter five also quotes uh, Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy uh, in ways where both of those have laws. All of those have laws that say eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, right? Well, Jesus says in Matthew chapter five, you have heard it said eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist an evildoer, right? Uh, and so this is where Jesus picks and chooses. He even quotes passages from Leviticus in order to say, uh, that's not the last word <laughs> for Jesus. Uh, the last word is non-violence, non-vengeance, non-retaliatory, uh, and um, uh, showing the world a different way, the way of love. So uh, Raylene says, uh, the process of becoming, uh, of ongoing. Yeah, that's it. Uh, Jeff says, the secret to happiness is low expectations. <laughs> Good wisdom there, Jeff. Yes, yes. Set set the bar low. Uh, that's that's has been my mantra for uh, for quite some time. That's not to you know. I mean, I, I'm afraid some people might listen to that uh, and say that it's justification for uh, uh, not doing as well as we thought we as well as we could or something like that. But for me, it's actually very freeing. Uh, because I think as I mentioned earlier, I don't know, I've tried to do this thing twice, so I don't know what I've said and what I haven't said. Uh, but for me, that setting the bar low has been so freeing for me because when we set the bar high, it's just this perfectionism that stares me in the face that is part of the voices of shame that says, you can't do this. And so when I set the bar low, I end up going over it and actually jumping higher than I thought that I could. <laughs> I end up doing better than I thought that I could. Why? Because getting that first sentence down is a win and it's jumping over the bar and it frees me to continue to keep going in life. Ah, oh, it's a good secret to happiness, Jeff. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Anna Lee, my friend says, this is pretty constructive screen time, isn't it? I hope so, my friend. I hope so, Anna Lee. Thank you. Anna Lee says, mom guilt is a global issue. Someone said not being enough, keeping up with the chores, being there in the most optimal way for everyone and tending to oneself at the same time. It's impossible, isn't it? It is all of that, the way that we idealize motherhood in our world uh, is, I would imagine, very oppressive uh, and in, just impossible, impossible to keep up. And that affects all in the family, right? Um, my mother, God bless, God bless my mother's memory, uh, was a perfectionist. And always got on my case for the chores, got on my case for all of the things. And maybe my anti-perfectionism <laughs> is a bit of a resistance of my mother's perfectionism. Uh, but, but I don't know. Um, I, you know, we all like are formed in many ways by our parents and hopefully we develop the the tools again in order to pick and choose the the good things from our parents that we can continue with us in our own parenting or in our own 
just basic relationships with other people. What, what is good and valuable from them? And what are some things that we can just maybe leave behind, right? You don't have to take everything with you. Um, sometimes those things just come with you. Uh, they're a part of us, but learning to manage those voices and manage those things, the perfectionism that still is in my head that comes from my mom and that came from her parents or whatever, right? How do I manage, how do I learn to manage that in healthier ways uh, so that I'm, I'm not in, I'm not enslaved to those voices of shame and I can free myself from them. Uh, important tools to have. Thank you, Raylene. Thank you. Uh, Annalie says it is so easy to pick up shame from media culture and norms. Yeah. It's all over our world. Uh, and Melanie, I'm glad that you have that win. Melanie says, my win every day is getting out of bed. I am with you, Melanie. Uh, I love you. And I'm I'm glad that you count that as a win. I count that as a win for you too. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, okay. So I think that those are all of our comments today, I'll go back down to see if we have, uh, any more. So yeah, Annalie, maybe the last comment is expectations. I aim for the stars and it helps me getting over the treetops. Oh, that is good. That is good. Getting over the treetops is a win. Yeah. That's a big deal. That is a big deal. So awesome. Well, uh, thank you everybody. Thank you for sticking through the technical difficulties that we had earlier today. So sometimes those happen. Uh, but fortunately, uh, we have set the bar low here at one question with Pastor Adam. So <laughs> we are, we're at the treetops. Uh, and uh, thank you for that, Annalie. Thank you, Raylene and Princess and Melanie and Jeff. And uh, thank you all for being here. Uh, and uh, we will do it again next week at on Thursday at 11 o'clock Pacific, we're going to have, uh, we're scheduled to have my dear friend, Ryan Hansen from, uh, the, who I met in seminary next week. Uh, he was on the show a couple weeks ago talking about the book of revelation. And, uh, he is also a scholar on Paul. And many of you know that I am sort of on a mission to reclaim Paul. I think Paul has been, uh, hijacked by a certain form of Christianity. <laughs> And that Paul was actually very progressive, uh, not just in his day, but in our day too. And uh, you've heard me talk about this on previous podcasts a little bit. And I wanted to bring Ryan in to talk a little bit more about that with us. So I'm excited for for that. Uh, that'll be next week at 11 o'clock Pacific time here on one question with Pastor Adam, uh, where we go live Thursdays on the Clackamas United Church of Christ Facebook page and the Pastor Adam Facebook page. And if you are listening to this through a, a podcast, thank you so much for listening to the podcast through iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you can rate and review uh, positively, I would be so happy. So... <laughs> That would help the show get the get the show out. And uh, if you want to share this video with anybody you thought would be interested, that would be great too. And uh, this will be posted on the uh, Pastor Adam YouTube channel as well if you want to watch uh, later on there. So friends, uh, I hope you have a great rest of the day and uh, we will do this again next week. And uh, until then, uh, 
God bless you all. Hope you have a great rest of the day.